0: Well, let's turn to Psalm 22, and I want to read uh, verses 1 down through verse 21, and this section, as you know, deals with the sufferings of Christ. The latter part of this psalm will deal something of his triumphs the victories over the cross, but for now we're still dealing with the aspect of his dying and his suffering, of course. So let me read these verses and we'll back up and uh, look at the texts that we're going to be looking at and introduce them and then get into it. So Psalm 22 to the chief musician upon Ijeleth Shehar, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime. But thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou, that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people." All they that see me laugh to scorn, laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gape upon me with their mouths, and as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them, and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not far, thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength, haste thou to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. The portion of this section that I read we want to open up now is uh, verses 4 and 5. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. Now in handling verses 4 and 5, I will be using this hour and the next like we did a few weeks ago to open up some of the things that I want to discuss dealing with this, my Introduction will be kind of lengthy, and this is one of the reasons as to why we'll be carrying it over, and also for the continuity of what we're going to be talking about. But there are two main points that I think that will be helpful as we look at this, and especially the second one. Now it's true I probably should handled this in another previous introduction as we were beginning this psalm, but it didn't really strike me till I got to these verses here, and so I thought I would open them up at this time. So my, hermene- uh, my homiletical skills are not the greatest on this, so uh, just bear with me on that and we'll listen to this and see that it might be helpful to us. Again, our text, our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. Now, the words before us come from the lips, as you know, of our Lord Jesus Christ as he's hanging between heaven and earth there on Calvary. They came from him during the awful pain and the agonies as he suffers, of course, the torments of his crucifixion. So, as you know, the first half of this psalm deals then with the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know that uh, because of the New Testament testimony regarding it. We see some of these quotations mentioned here in the psalm that I read, uh, mentioned in the New Testament, and it is the Lord Jesus himself who is speaking this. So we know then that this is a psalm that's dealing with Christ, and it's dealing with him at this part anyway regarding the crucifixion of himself. Now, when we say that he was crucified here and he suffered all these things. We're not saying all this that this was just any man who is being crucified here. In reality, though, it's, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Holy One of Israel. It's the Son of God who is hanging here upon the cross. And while there have been men, and I suppose women as well, who have suffered great agonies in this kind of a death, but none have ever suffered as our Lord Jesus did. His sufferings were far different than anyone else who has ever suffered or ever will suffer in this life. Now, as you know, there were, from the gospel accounts, there were two others that day who were crucified with the Lord Jesus. There were two thieves. In Matthew 27 and verse 38, it says there, then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And so they, along with the Lord Jesus, were also crucified and they too were enduring physical pain. They were going through some of the awful agonies that our Lord Jesus himself was suffering. But though, our Lord's suffering was unique. It was different than the way in which they were suffering. They didn't suffer the same type of injuries I'll call them here now that our Lord Jesus had suffered. And so his suffering then was unique in this way. And there's several ways, and we're going to open this up as well. So what are some of the several ways in which our Lord's crucifixion, His sufferings, his agonies, were unique that we don't find in the men who were crucified along with him? Well, one of the things we can say about the uniqueness of his crucifixion was that the Lord Jesus was truly innocent. He was hanging there not as someone who was guilty of any sort of crime or any sort of sin whatsoever. We know him to be the sinless son of God. The men who were crucified crucified beside him, though, they were guilty they were actually paying for their crimes you remember one of the thieves even admits this in Luke 23 and verse 41 and we indeed justly that is suffering for we received the due reward of our deeds but this man hath done nothing amiss and by that he means they didn't do he didn't do anything wrong we're up here because we deserve it he's here not because he deserved it Now, we don't know all that that saved thief at this time understood about this. But nonetheless, he realized that Jesus himself was innocent of all the charges which were laid upon him. So one of the uniqueness about this is he was innocent. Those fellows were guilty. Secondly, the Lord's sufferings entailed the sins of his people being laid to his account. So when our Lord Jesus here was suffering, he was suffering really on the behalf of others. The Bible tells us he was made sin for us. Again, Luke or 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. This cannot be said of these other two. They weren't suffering because other people's sins were laid to their charge. They were, as we said earlier, they were suffering for their own sins. Jesus was not suffering for any, for his sins, because he had none. He was suffering for the sins of others. As God laid our sins upon, as God imputed our sins to him, to his account, he was suffering for that occasion. The third thing we can say that's unique here is that he was experiencing the forsaking of his father. We read that earlier and we discussed that earlier in verse one. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So Jesus here admits that his father has turned his back upon him. And the uniqueness of this is, That was not necessarily going on with them. They may have been forsaken in other ways and matters. Now, we know the other thief was converted, so we know that wasn't the case. But as far as our Lord Jesus was concerned, this had never, ever happened before. He had never experienced the father turning his back upon him. He had never gone, undergone any type of displeasure with his father throughout all of his life. And if we think back of eternity, you know, they were rejoicing from all eternity together and part of the Trinity. But here at this hour, when it's all dark and the sins are being laid upon the Lord Jesus, our Heavenly Father, we see here, turns his back from him. He forsook him. Jesus had to go through all this all alone. So that was unique. Another uniqueness was that his sufferings were a sacrifice for sin. You know, we just got through saying he died for his people. And our sins were laid upon him. But they were laid upon him for the reason of Jesus to be that sacrifice for sin. You remember, he was the Lamb of God that was to take away the sin of the world. And the uniqueness of that is those two individuals who were dying alongside him, who were suffering the physical pain as well, they could not atone for anyone's sins. They couldn't cover their own sins, much less the sins of all the God's elect being laid upon Him. But Jesus did. He bore that. He became the great sacrifice, the only sacrifice that would ever take away sin. Now that's unique, isn't it? No other sacrifice could do so. All of those bulls and bullocks and lambs and calves that were slain in the Old Testament they would never, Hebrews tells us, would take away sin. Never. They can, all of them, That if you put them all together and made one big sacrifice for, for sin, they would never cover one sin. They would never satisfy any justice in God's eyes. They never did. They never would. But the sacrifice of Jesus, you see, is unique. It did. He was that one complete and perfect sacrifice for sins. It was the only one that would take away sins, the only one that would appease God. The fifth uniqueness of this is that the crucifixion of these two, they were only suffering the pain physically that was brought upon them by man. But Jesus bore that as well, yet those other two were not experiencing the fierce wrath of God Almighty. You see, they were just suffering what man could place upon them. The great torments of crucifixion, and we don't want to belittle that at all. It was a great suffering, I'm sure, that those men went through. And our Lord as well. But the difference there between these two and Jesus is that Jesus bore the wrath of his father. As God forsook his son upon the cross, his wrath burned upon him. You see, our Lord Jesus received both. And that was not what these two men had. Jesus received the physical pain, but he also experienced that spiritual pain, the the wrath of God. He took upon him the wrath of man and the wrath of God, you see. It was his soul and his soul alone that underwent the punishment of his father for sin. His father, as we read from Isaiah last time that we were discussing this, it was his father who bruised him. It was he who put him to grief. He put the travail upon his soul. And he made his soul an offering for sin. Those men, it's not said of them, but only Christ. You see, that's unique, isn't it? And then the sixth thing we can say of this, of the uniqueness of this, and in all of this, he alone satisfied the penalty due for sin. You see... We have sinned. All have sinned, the Bible tells us, to come short of the glory of God. We've offended God. God is angry with the wicked every day. The Bible tells us that we have sinned. We've offended God. God is angry. The Bible teaches us that we are estranged from him. And if there's no sacrifice made for us, we'll all perish. We'll die in our sins and spend an eternity in hell which even in that could never, ever appease God. You see, we broke his holy law. Those ten commandments and all other commandments that we find in the word of God, we have been guilty of. And since that is true, then if we were ever going to be saved, ever to obtain forgiveness, then satisfaction had to be made to God. God had to be appeased. There had to be in biblical language, a propitiation made for us. And Jesus was the only one who could do that. He alone satisfied the penalty that was due for sin. He made a total and a complete satisfaction for our sins. Again, that was unique, wasn't it? Nothing like that had ever taken place, and nothing like that will ever take place. It's impossible, because Jesus Christ will never be crucified again. So all of these things, then, we can see that there was a difference here between the sufferings of those two men in comparison to the suffering of Jesus, who was both God and man at the very same time. Great, of course, were his sufferings. Great was the wrath that was upon him. And, of course, great was his death. So that's the first part of the introduction then. We have our introduction number one point. That his sufferings was unique and different that we're reading here. Now the second, this is the one I really want to... Press home, and mainly because of some of the words we've been seeing in verses one through five here and how that we may scratch our heads at times and say, well, why would he say things like this? After all, he knew all of this. After all, he, this was all ordained of him. This wasn't something that snuck up on him. As we've talked about before, this was, this was a preordained event that was going to take place. And it was going to take place. Nothing could have stopped it because it was fixed in the eternal counsels of God. So why do we see words like that? What's being done here? What's being accomplished here in all of this other than what we've already discussed regarding the sins of men being covered here? Well, that's what I want to bring up now and the second point in this introduction, which I hope then will help us as we plow through the rest of this section and as well in the application this morning as we will be attempting that in the next hour. After, well, we got time. My point here is that Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, Son of Man, also not only needed to suffer these great agonies, But he also needed to be tempted. Tempted. And by that word, of course, people can misunderstand that at times when we talk about the temptation of Christ. Uh, Sometimes all the people have in their minds that ridiculous movie that was put out a few years ago. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. But our Lord Jesus went through real, sincere temptations. Now in saying that, we do not mean here that our Lord Jesus somehow, some way, had the ability to give in to temptation like we do. We have indwelling sin in us. Even the best of Christians still have sin dwelling in them. And so when temptation, as it were, walks by, there is something in us that says, Ooh, I'd like that. Or, Ooh, I want that. Or, Ooh, I'm going to do that. Or, I'm not going to do that. Whatever the case may be. We have that. Our Lord Jesus never did. At least I don't believe he did. I think he was impeccable by that, that he could not sin. For all he was God. But he still had to suffer temptation. He still had to have those things set before him so that it can be said that he was tempted. We would probably want to use the word today, tested. It has the same kind of meaning as we were looking at it, as we will be looking at it biblically. Our Lord Jesus was tested there on the cross. He was tested. Just like you and I would be tested. Except, He always passes with flying colors. We fail. He did not. So, not only is Jesus Christ our sin bearer, that is, the one who would make atonement for our sins. Remember he is still of our flesh. He was a man, he is a man, and he was a real man. Except for sin. He wasn't born in with sin hanging on him like we are. He wasn't born dead in trespasses and sins. He didn't have a nature that was inclined to sin or to disobey God. That never he never had that. He was never born that way. We, ought, on the other hand, do. And so Jesus then must be tested or tempted. Those things must be set before him. So he too must undergo the temptations you and I suffer. Now, that doesn't mean that he went through every jot and tittle of what you and I may go through, but in general, he suffered temptations. He too had to face the onslaughts of unbelief, the onslaughts of doubts, discouragements, and whatever else you want to lay into that. And again, not that he succumbed to any of that. Not in one whit, did he? But it had to do, he had to go through it. He had to pass through those things. Those things had to be set before him. You remember... In the gospel accounts, there in, uh, it's, in the, it's recorded in Luke, but it's also in Matthew, that our Lord Jesus went into the wilderness. And there, he had some dealings there with Satan, or maybe Satan had dealings with him. Um, let me turn to Matthew chapter 4, and I'll just take that one for instance. Let me read these passages, and this will help us to see what we're talking about today. Then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. There's the word, tempted there. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these, that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh them up into the holy city, and setteth them on a pinnacle of the temple. And he saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil take him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Now do you see what took place? Jesus goes out into the wilderness. There Satan appears unto him, and Satan sets forth there these three things in order to tempt Jesus to accept them or to do them. And of course, He was tempted in that sense. In other words, those things were there. They were set before him. He heard them. He could have a view of them. And if he would only do what Satan said, Satan is giving the lie here, this would all be yours. Of course, it was all his anyway. But the point is, he was tempted with that. This came before him. And of course, he triumphs here, doesn't he? He doesn't fall into it. He doesn't fall into the trap. He doesn't sin here. He doesn't go out. We would have. We'd have been fasted 40 days. which We'd have been hungry. We'd have made those stones into bread just to eat, which would have been, in of, as we think, in and of itself lawful. But you see what I'm saying here. The Lord Jesus is tempted at this point. It's set before him. And, of course, he is triumphed in them, though. He didn't exert his power to do these things he depended upon if you noticed what did our lord jesus do he went to the scriptures didn't he funny thing so was satan but jesus of course was handling them correctly so there's a great big help to us in handling temptation my friend and that is use the bible use scripture and use it lawfully and correctly interpreting it right in other words just don't quote any verse thinking that's some sort of a a magic potion there that's going to like a charm that's going to help you like the old rabbit's foot you know that's not what Jesus did here he understood what he meant by those passages and they were a help to him you see he fled to the refuge of scriptures the bible to help him now back to psalm 22 here again on the cross he is suffering temptation you say well what kind well the temptations that we see is he's crying out here my God why hast thou forsaken me why are you doing this what's going on here he's experiencing not that he's experiencing but the the temptation of doubt and wonder and and complaint uh, or an evil complaint against God is there Not that he's doing that, but that would be the temptation for him here. You see, he must go through this in order to be the perfect Savior, which he is. He must be tempted. Even in the midst of his great sorrows and his great trial and his great pain and his great agonies here, and even in the midst of the desertions of his father, he's tempted, and yet he has to stay true. He must stay true. And those things you see became a temptation. Just as you and I are placed in some hard things in life, we may have decisions to make, or there may be some pain in our own lives. There may be some forsaking of something or something dear to us. And, you know, we're tempted then to sin, tempted to have our own way? Well, if this is the way God's going to deal with me, I'm going to go do something else then. I'll go serve something else. I won't be uh, as Christian as I ought to be. Yeah, that's All that comes upon us. We think those things, don't we? Now, why must Jesus go through this? Well, the answer is found, and we won't get there for a while, but it's found in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, and we're going to turn to chapter 2. Hebrews 2. And verses 16 through 18. For verily he took on, on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Now what he's talking about there is the incarnation where Jesus becomes a man or his divine nature and his human nature together. And he didn't become an angel, did he? He didn't take that kind of a form. He took the form of a man. This is what he's saying here. Why did he do that? Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things cons- pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of, his, of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. In other words, Jesus Because he went through these things, he then as a high priest can sympathize with us. The trial you are presently going through, if you are, there is one in heaven who knows what you're going through. And not because he knows because he's God, because God knows everything. But he knows as the God man, the God man who had been tempted himself in all these things. You see, this is one of the reasons, there's many reasons, this is one of the reasons why he had to be made flesh. Why he took upon our nature, why he took upon human humanity, so, so that he could be tempted in all points, as Hebrews 4 and verse 15 will tell us. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Tempted at all points as we are. So as he's hanging on the cross, back in Psalm 22, in the gospel accounts, we know then there are things that he is facing that he is doing in order to be tempted. And he's being tempted there not only to show that he's the divine son of God and that he makes his way through it and also to suffer the sins of his people, but to sympathize with us to sympathize with us. You see, even now on the cross, he's being tempted. And that's why we see some of these words in these first five verses here. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and I am not silent. If we read that, we're thinking... He would think, why then? Why go through this? You See, there was a temptation there. Just as you and I, every day, face temptations. Whether we're going to serve God or not serve God. Whether we're going to blame God or justify God. Next verse. But thou art holy. See, Jesus doesn't say, look, your plan is wrong here. There's something wrong with your plan and and me going through all this, so let's stop this. No, he he didn't do that, did he? He said, thou art holy. This whole scheme of redemption is a good, holy thing. You're just at doing it. Punishing me as a sinner, because I'm counted as a sinner, is a righteous thing. It's what I deserve. So, he's on the cross that he's suffering. He's, that's why we read these things here. Now, why must he do this? Well, as I said, to be that faithful high priest, for as Hebrews 2 tells us, to succor. Uh, now, the word succor there doesn't mean like we think, S-U-C-K-E-R, sucker you know, or we're going to sucker you out of something. It's sucker in the sense, maybe as, as a bubba, I'm not saying it right, but S-U-C-C-O-U-R is something totally different. It means to uphold, to go along and to be a help, to sympathize, empathize with one another. And Hebrews tells us that's what he's doing. That's what he does. And he, he can do that because of that very thing. Not only that, he's an example to us. Not that none of us will probably ever be crucified, but all of us will have temptation to give in or to give up, as the case may be. You see, verses 1 and 2 were his temptations. But in verse 3, he triumphs here, doesn't he? He justifies God. And then we read in verse 4 and 5, Of some arguments, This is what we're going to cover in the next hour. This is the way in which he's helped in this. He's not being heard. He's God is silent to him as we see in verse 2. Verse 3, he justifies that. And as uh, David Dixon, this is why I got my mind turning on this really. I was reading the comments by David Dixon in his book on the Psalms, excellent book. And he talks about the Lord being tempted now again. He's going to be tempted again. And look it down in verse 6. But I'm a worm, he says. So we're going to stop here. And we will pick up then with verses 4 and 5. And the next hour. See, if I stop here, I'm going to have to go all this over again next week. And I don't want to do that. So we're just going to stop here and we'll pick it up again here in a few minutes. So may God bless that to us and uh, hope that's been helpful or will be helpful. Please. May God bless you.